Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to see you back tonight. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or as some would say, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. I listen to a preacher on the radio quite often, and that's how he does it. He goes, turn to 1 Thessalonians, and maybe I'll take that up and say it that way, but 1 Thessalonians. As I said this morning, I want to spend the next few weeks and look at issues about the Christian life. And the first one I want us to examine tonight has to do with maturity, growing to spiritual adulthood. All of you who have had children, all of us who have had children, we know how that thing goes. You celebrate the birth of a child in the home, and initially it's pretty easy because they sleep all the time. You know, they drink milk and then they sleep, and then they drink more milk and they sleep, and it's pretty easy. But after... A little while, the growth process kicks in, and then they never sleep, or they sleep in the day, and they stay up all night, absolutely opposite of, you know, the normal person's sleep schedule, and if they're like our oldest daughter, Megan, we almost had no more children after her, because <laughs> she had, she had colic, and um, the only way she would sleep at night was to lay on my chest. I didn't have a shirt on, and the, my body heat would soothe her colic, and she would go to sleep. So many nights, she and I slept on the couch like that uh, with her laying on top of me and me asleep. Well, almost asleep, afraid I was going to drop her in the floor. But, um, yeah, we almost didn't have any more children after her because uh, six months of no sleep will drive you crazy. But the growth process, it's a natural part. You know, they go, they go from milk, and then, and then you feed them baby food, and then they get teeth, and they start eating things. And then pretty soon, they eat whatever you're eating, right? They sit at the table with you, and they do their little hands, and you, get, you throw it over there on their tray thing, and they eat it because they have, they have teeth. And, and they grow, and they get bigger, and they get active, and... Um, the goal is, obviously, that as they get older, you want them to grow into maturity. You want them to grow into an adulthood. Our, as your goal, and our goal was in raising our children, our four, was at some point to be able to launch them into society as functioning human beings that contribute to society. You know, that was our goal, to, so, to bring them to Jesus so they would be saved and then launch them out into the world uh, to be mature adults. Um, I would give a couple of warnings here real quick uh, since we're talking about parenting and it parallels to what we'll learn tonight. Sometimes parents, I have discovered over the years, some parents want to be friends with their children. I would suggest to you that being friends with one up, um, when they're small, what they need is a parent. What they need is unconditional love, no matter how they are, whatever, you love them but with boundaries and with standards. And those boundaries and standards have to be unbending because you know children, if you give an inch, there's blood in the water, right? And now, now, now they know, okay? And there's a parallel there. God the Father, he sets boundaries, doesn't he? He has, he has laws and standards, but he loves us unconditionally, so we should love our children that way. Um, one other comment I would make, thinking of, I was thinking about child-rearing this year. This isn't the message, but I also thought about this. Loving our children unconditionally, by the way, does not mean enabling their poor decisions and their bad choices. God does not do that to us either. God loves us unconditionally, but when we as his children do dumb things, the Holy Spirit withstands us immediately. Okay, So we should be the same. And the goal is that when they get grown and they join society, now you can have fellowship. Now you can, now you can have adult friendship with them, which we have with our, with our older children, which is wonderful. Now, I said all that to say this. There's a spiritual parallel in the Bible, side by side. When we got saved, you and I, we were babes in Christ. I couldn't tell you where a book was at in the Bible. I couldn't. I told you this before, I asked a kid one time next to me, the teacher would go, turn to this passage. 
And this kid was sitting next to me, and man, he's all in his Bible, and I had a Bible. And I said, how do you know where that is? And he goes, you just know. <laughs> well, that didn't help me. I mean, I, you know, so I had to go to the index and find it. But the goal is that when we got saved, God, the Holy Spirit, then begins to grow us. We start on the milk of the Word. We start on the simple things. When I first got saved, I was in Ambassadors for Christ. Ever heard of that before? And we, we memorized all the books of the Bible. So I didn't have any trouble after that knowing where the book was when the preacher said, turn to the book, because I memorized them. And I can still to this day say all the books in the Bible in a row, which is pretty amazing because my brain's older and, and I still remember all that stuff. But we learned that stuff and we started out with the simple stuff. And then over the years, as I read the Bible for myself and began to study, I began to learn things. And the more I learned, my appetite was wet, you know, and then I would, I, I remember as just a, a kid, I, I, I was still a teenager, I went and found myself a commentary. So as a teenager, I'm digging around in this commentary, he, and I, I, I picked one, I picked one, now that I look back, of old English, first century, and I'm reading this thing, and thinking, what language is this in? I don't, I don't know what this is, but the point is, I begin to grow. And so in the Bible, the point is this. When we get saved, we're not supposed to stay the same. When we get saved, we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to grow in spiritual maturity and get spiritual teeth so we can eat spiritual meat and, and, and move forward. Because, see, it is in that spiritual growth, and Paul's going to address that in this church in Corinth. It is in that spiritual growth that affects our life, our Christian life, and our maturity and our walk and our spirituality or our carnality, uh, one or the other, and it all is connected to, to what we know about God. Perpetual immaturity is unnatural in the physical realm. A child that doesn't grow, something's wrong with them. In the spiritual realm, a Christian doesn't grow, something's wrong with them. They're not growing. They're just, they're, they're just stuck and many times become carnal, and I'm going to explain what that means in a moment. So as Paul addresses this problem, let's look at it and learn some things for ourselves tonight. Look at verse 1, and we've been in this passage before, not too long ago, but we're going to take a different look at it tonight. Paul said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Now, the first thing I want to establish here is that these people that Paul is writing to are Christians. They're saved. They're not mature Christians, and, and they're carnal. He's going to talk to them about that, but they're saved. They've trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they're born again. They're on their way to heaven. Now, you might, when we look at some of these Christians and what Paul's going to address, you might think, how can they be saved? Paul said they are saved. In fact, I would suspect Paul led some of them to Jesus. I, he might have led a bunch of them to Jesus because he'd been there. And so these are, these are saved men and women. And here's the point. Salvation is not based on what we do after we're saved. Following me? In other words, we can get saved because salvation is what? By grace through faith plus nothing. And we might get saved and be, a, and be a dud when it comes to growing spiritually, but we're saved. And I'll give you an example. The, the guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus, how much spiritual growth do you think he got? Not a lot. He didn't get baptized. That'll upset some people. He didn't get baptized. But you know what? Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Amen. So that guy was a brand new babe in Christ, and boom, he's in heaven. Not a bad way to go, I might say, okay? You get saved, and you go right on to heaven. But the point is, our spiritual growth after we're saved doesn't affect the fact that we're saved. However, let me make the opposite observation. Being saved and knowing that you're saved and knowing that I'm going to heaven no matter what is not a license for sin. Paul made that very clear. That's not a license. It's not a reason to go, well, you know what? I'm saved, so I'm going to throw all caution in the wind and do whatever I want, or I'm just not going to try and I'm not going to grow. No, 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 no. Paul makes it very clear here. When we get saved, it is natural that we begin to grow. And I would even suggest this. There are many people today who, who claim the name of Jesus and think they're saved, and I'd have questions about their salvation based on the way they live. But the point is, if you're really saved, if you're really saved, you know that salvation is not a license for sin. It's not a, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card where you go, well, I know I'm not going to hell, so I can do whatever I want to. Why? We said it this morning. When you get saved, you get new on the inside. 
And when you get new on the inside, you get a new desire, okay? Some Christians, though, are lazy. There's the big word, okay? Pastor, you hurt my feelings. Well, listen, you ain't growing, I ain't talking to you. I'm just telling you that there are some Christians who get saved and they don't put in any effort. What do we know about life? If you want to achieve anything, you want to get anywhere, what do you have to do? You got to work at it, okay? You got to put some effort into it. You got to try, okay? Some Christians don't try. Now, he says this in verse 1, interesting thing. And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but as unto carnal, as babes in Christ. Now, he uses two words here, spiritual and carnal. Uh, a word you find in the Greek for spirit is pneuma. And in this word, he speaks, I can't speak to you as pneumaticos. I can't speak to you as those who are spiritual men and women. Now, what's he saying there? He's not saying they aren't saved, because the moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. What he's saying is there are Christians who do not live under the direction and power of the Holy Spirit in their daily life. They're not under the dominion of the Spirit, meaning they don't surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, and they're not walking spiritually. And so he says to these Christians right here, I can't talk to you like men and women who are being led by the power of the Spirit. I can't discuss spiritual things with you because you're not walking with the Spirit. Again, doesn't mean they aren't saved. It just means that they are not being dominated by the Spirit. The pattern or the habit of their life is not to walk in the direction of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we get saved, we still have our old nature, the fleshly nature, which is the next word he uses. The word in the Greek for the flesh is sarks. He says here, I can't, I can't talk to you as pneumaticos. I'm talking to you like sarkikos. He said, I'm talking to you like people who are dominated by their flesh. Now, flesh doesn't mean just this stuff. It can mean that. But what it really means is our human nature apart from God. It means that old nature that's rebellious to God. Have you discovered since you've been saved that old nature's still there? And Blanding brings it out like right in a hurry, doesn't it? I mean, that old nature's still there. And there are times in life when, when that old nature flares up. And suddenly, instead of walking in the Spirit, what are we walking in? Now I'm speaking and thinking and acting in my flesh, not in the Spirit. I didn't just get lost. I didn't just lose my salvation. What happened is I just went from being under the, under the direction of the Holy Spirit and being a spiritual person to being now a fleshly person. Ever been there? Yeah, Pastor, I was there today. Yeah, well, me too, okay? It's so easy. It's, it's, it's incredibly easy to go from being being spirit-filled and making spiritual decisions to suddenly being in the flesh. Have you noticed that the society we live in, matter of fact, the entire world is geared to appeal to that nature? Have you noticed that? I mean, you can't see a commercial, a, a, a show, a, a movie, if you log on to your computer and, and ads pop up, every one of them, without exception, is geared to appeal to the old nature, to create desire, to create lust, to create sinful thoughts, to create uh, uh, us to pursue that thing in the flesh. The flesh, the old nature apart from God, temptations and the things of this world and here's what Paul's saying to them. He's saying, brethren, you're born again. You're a child of God. God didn't save you to go back and walk in the flesh. God saved you to walk in the spirit. God saved you to, to serve him, to serve him in the power of the spirit, to walk the Christian life in the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the problem with our old fleshly nature. Number one, it is the point of entry for all sin. Just write it down. When we fail, when we fail tomorrow, when we think wrong or have a bad attitude or whatever we do tomorrow that isn't spirit-led, and get this, this is how detailed it is. If my thoughts and my words and my actions and my intent aren't led by the Holy Spirit, they're sinful. Because the only other option is me. 
And if it's coming from me, it's not good. It's coming from the flesh. So the, the flesh is the point of entry. It's the only place sin can get in. The sin can't, get, can't affect me any other place because I'm a born-again child of God except in my fleshly nature. And that's exactly where it's going to come after me. That's exactly where it's going to try to get me. And that's exactly where we'll, where we'll fail when we fail. So where should we guard? If you know that's the only breach in life where Satan's going to get you, where sin's going to get you, where temptation's going to come on, put the wall up there. Put the prayer up there. Put the Word of God up there. Stick something. Put God's Word in that hole in your life so nothing comes in there. Too many Christians like to reach out there and dabble in the world. Man, that's, that's suicide. Because if you, if you embrace the flesh any little bit at all, boy, it'll consume us. So it's the entry point of sin. Now here's what Paul's really saying to them. Number two, when we get saved, the Bible said that we were set free from sin. Now some people go, well, that means I'm set from free from sin. I'm never going to sin no more. No, that's not what it means. Before we were saved, we only had the ability to live in the flesh. Everybody follow me. We had, no other, we had no other source of making decisions, living life, choices, the way we saw the world. It was all flesh. It was all that nature that separated from God. But when we got saved, God forgave our sin, gave us a new nature, a new heart, became a new creation in Christ, and the Holy Spirit came to live in us. He moved in. You're a temple of God now. He lives in you. Now there's two possibilities. Everybody follow me. I can, I can confess my sin and ask God the Holy Spirit to fill me and fill my mind with the Word of God and not be conformed to this world, as Paul said. I can do all that and ask God to give me victory, and I can have victory over sin. Why? Because he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. You say, then, Pastor, why do we fail? Because here's what we do. We go back and get in the flesh sometimes, and sometimes we choose to. Sometimes we choose to. I'm going to confess. I'm not going to turn my collar around. I'm just going to confess. God knows, so I might as well tell you. And you'll know your preacher's not perfect. That'll be a shock, right? <laughs> there have been times when I've been faced with a situation in life, usually when somebody's not being kind, because I have a real short fuse for that. And God, the Holy Spirit, will just as plain as I'm talking to you, will say to me in my heart, you need, to, you need to walk away. But you know what I do? I go, oh, I ain't walking away from this. <laughs> and, then, and then it's on, right? And then, and then I let my flesh say what I was thinking. And then what do I have to do as soon as I do walk away? I'm confessing like crazy. Lord, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And, but have you not been there? Do you see the battle? Do you see the conflict? You see the, the wrestling match that we're in every day spiritually with allowing the Holy Spirit to, to be to a, a, a spiritual man or woman filled with the Spirit and how easy it is to fall back into the old flesh. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. You don't have to be defeated by the flesh because God's given us a victory. Jesus set us free. When we were lost, we were enslaved to sin. When we were lost, we were enslaved to the flesh. But Jesus bought us off the oxen block, set us free, paid for our sin, and set us free from that so that we don't have to be that way. Paul is saying to these Christians, hey, you don't have to be that way. You guys are carnal. You're living in the flesh. And you're babes in Christ. You haven't grown. And that fleshliness is killing you spiritually. Can I say this thirdly about this, and we'll move real quick. There are Christians who are saved. There are men and women who are saved and they make poor choices. They choose to be fleshly. And that's bad. That's, that's bad. Two things are going to happen when we do that. And we probably have all been there somewhere in life where we, where we get in the flesh and we throw our hands up and we go, you know what, this is hard and, and, I'm, and I'm tired. And we throw our hands up and we're in the flesh. That's the most miserable place for a Christian to be in life. That's miserable. 
You know why? Because the Holy Spirit ain't going to leave us alone. You can throw your hands up and you can go, you know what? I, I, this is too hard and the sin's eating my lunch and I've, had, I've just had enough and God, I can't do it. And the Holy Spirit's going to put you in a headlock. And he's going to say, I love you and you ain't giving up. And he's going to poke you in the chest and he's going to bug you. And, you know, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and he's going to be bugging you. You're going to get up the next day and he's going to be bugging you. And then you're going to get on your knees. You're going to confess, say, God, you're right. I ain't giving up. Forgive me. And the Holy Spirit's going to hug you and you're going to be right back to where you're supposed to be. That's the Christian life. But unfortunately, some Christians choose to walk in defeat. Okay? And I read this. I didn't write this, but I read it, so I wrote it down and I like it. He said this. Christians are completely to blame when they do not endeavor to grow in grace and knowledge, meaning it's our fault when we don't put in the effort to ask for God's help and to pursue walking in the Spirit. Laziness or just being overcome by the sin is not an excuse because God has given us everything we need to be successful. He's given us His Word. He's given us His church. He's given us the Spirit living in us. So in that first point... We're saved to be different. We are empowered to be different by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let us, collectively and individually, ask God to help us be different, to live in the power of the Spirit, to not walk in the flesh. As Paul said, to, to uh, not conform to the image of this world and not be conformed to the image of this world, but let's renew our minds in God's Word and renew how we think and renew how we look at the world. And walk in the power of the Spirit. Now, in verses 1 to 4, Paul describes the result of walking in the flesh. Look at it with me. He said, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I think we wrung that out pretty good. Verse 2. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you are still not able. Paul said, man, I've been feeding you on the rudimentary things of the faith, and I'm having to double back and go over it again because you guys just aren't getting it. Look at verse 3. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal or in the flesh? evidences of carnality in, in, in the Christian life. He lays them out for us right here. The first one there uh, is, is envy, envy. We know what envy means. It means to want something, to, to desire something, usually what we don't have or what someone else has. You know, you drive by the house on the river and you go, man, I'd sure like to have that. Well, that's a form of envy, not being satisfied with what we have. It doesn't have to be sinful, but it's nonetheless there. Envy, usually, I wrote down a list. Let me just read it to you. Envy usually wants, wants some form of power. Somebody else is in authority, and, and you feel like it ought to be you, or I feel like it ought to be me. And so envy says, man, I, I, I wish I had a position like that. I wish I was in charge, or, or fame, uh, or reputation, maybe... Maybe you see someone who's uh, in the same profession you're in, in the same line of work, and man, they're excelling, and they're doing well, and you think, why isn't that me, and why, you know, why, why, are, why, are not, why am I not being recognized for my hard work and, and for the things I did? And so it's envy. We want to we have what we don't have. It includes material wealth. I mean, you look around, and you see people with more things, and you think, man, I could... I could have more things, and I wish I did. Maybe recognition. Envy can bleed over into pleasures, uh, recreation, and pleasures of the flesh, certainly, again, with the flesh, and, and, and always has to do with that which is forbidden. Why is it that our, that our fallen human nature always wants that which is off limits? Uh, I, here's a little experiment. I, you can do this and see it. Take a child and give them a whole room full of toys, but put one on the table in the middle of the room and tell them you can play with everything in here, but don't play with that one. How long you want to you take wages or how long it takes them to go to that one when there's a whole room full of stuff? Isn't that exactly what Adam did? Okay. 
So envy, we want, we, we want that thing which is either forbidden or, or that we're not supposed to have. And what does that say to God? It says, I'm not happy with what you gave me. When Adam wanted the one tree, God said, don't eat. What was Adam in essence saying? God, thank you for all the other stuff here that I can freely have, but I want that one. Isn't that envy? That's our, our fallen nature. And you know what, what is closely associated with envy? Is pride. Pride. Pride seeks to exalt self at the expense of others. Pride seeks to put self first no matter who gets trampled on. Pride elevates self. By the way, you know why people gossip? Just throw this in for free. You know why people gossip and talk down other people? Because they think it makes them look bigger. They think, they think talking down someone else makes them look smarter or more intelligent. It all comes from pride and envy. And where does that stuff come from? Our flesh. So if we're Christians, if we're saved and we're operating in the flesh, guess what's going to come out? All that stuff. Pick one. Have you not seen it? Have you not seen it? Hey, I've been, I've been pastoring a long time. 22 years here and a few years over at Wingate. And I was a deacon. I've, I've been in church. I got saved when I was 11. I've been in church my whole life. 